1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW, Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: All right, listeners, I'm glad to be joined today the eve of the masters 1000 tournaments i say tournaments with an s in toronto and montreal because those are the the beginning of the masters lead up for the u.s open series into the u.s open in new york i'm glad to be joined by mike mcintyre the canadian tennis journalist love interacting with him on on tennis twitter and also the official co-host of matchpoint canada which is the official tennis podcast of canada tennis Canadian tennis, I should say, which is booming right now, and it makes perfect sense why we go back to these tournaments year after year after year. So I'm, I'm bringing you on to kind of figure out, and, and I guess we can start right there. What are some of the
1: things that you look forward to with this magnificent tournament every year? Yeah, well, first of all, Miles, thanks for having me on. We've uh, connected for a long time on social media, so it's great to finally have this sort of face to face introduction and 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 do this for for each other. And I'm happy to come on and, and give you a Canadian perspective on what's going on up here and. I mean, for me, this started as, as a kid. And this is what hooked me on tennis was back then it was called the Canadian Open. Mm-hmm. Actually used to be sponsored by cigarette companies, if you can believe that, back in the day in the 1980s. And I went to this tournament as a kid growing up in Montreal. I lived about a 15-minute drive away from Jerry Park where the Montreal event was held. And it was a much smaller event back then. And the stadium didn't even have capacity for the players to practice on site. So they would come and practice at my local tennis courts oh. actually near my house. And so I'd get to walk, like, literally two minutes from home and see, like, Boris Becker and Michael Chang and Jim Courier and those kind of players practicing right there on the courts that I had my tennis lessons on. So as a kid, how could you not be hooked by that? And and that's what drew me to the sport. And aside from coming to the sport as a kid, then I moved from Montreal to the Toronto area uh, late in my teenage years, and my dad and I would still go watch the tennis here together. And then I started covering the sport uh, back in 2008, and I would be a writer, my dad would come with me, he's a professional photographer, and he'd take the pictures. So it was like a continuation of our father, father son bonding um, through the sport that we both loved. And uh, he did that with me for a number of years. Still enjoys it now, but from home. And uh, I'm still there now in my 15th year covering the event. And for us here in Canada, this is our premier tournament of the year. Like you guys are so blessed in the US to have not only a Grand Slam, but so many other tournaments Miami, Indian Wells, you know, 500 level, 250 level tournaments as well. And for us, this is really it when the whole tennis world focuses on our country in both Montreal and Toronto, as you mentioned. And so for me, being at heart still a tennis fan uh, and then also being able to, you know, do some work on the side now and have the podcast with Tennis Canada, Matchpoint Canada. Um, it's really cool to have this week. And just from the time I wake up in the morning until the time I finally tap out and pass out late at night, um, just living tennis for the next nine days. Uh, seven days starting tomorrow with the main drop beginning as we record this. And um, it, it's my favorite week of the year, Arnon. It's a good time to be in Canada. Funny story, I was
0: actually in Toronto back in 2019 during the week of the tournament. And uh, uh, Serena and Andrescu got to the final that year. And I was in just for maybe 24, 48 hours for a photo shoot. So it was a quick turnaround, but I'll never forget when I was in the airport leaving back, I think Serena was playing her semifinal match or something like that. And everyone was actually looking at the match happening in real time at the bar in the airport, which coming from where I come from in New Orleans and just in, in kind of United States in general, People aren't usually glued to the, the the television when tennis is on. So that was nice to kind of be in that environment and see it take up so much of the atmosphere in the city, if only for a week. And I was only there for a couple hours and I immediately felt it as a tennis fan. So that's awesome. And I, I, like, I really am jealous that you get to experience that on the grounds. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, I wish I could tell you it's like this everywhere in Canada, that you go to any bar and everybody's glued to tennis, um, but that's not quite not quite it. I mean, hockey and basketball, um, you know, with the Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Raptors, I mean, even the Blue Jays and baseball, they all have a bigger mass appeal, even up here in Canada. But tennis is certainly growing, and one of the main reasons for that is those players that we have. And you mentioned a time that was so pivotal for the growth of the sport in our country in 2019 when Bianca had that amazing season, Indian Wells. She backed it up later in the summer in her home tournament here in Toronto. And then we all know went on and beat Serena again in New York under the lights. So it's players like that that have brought the sport to definitely a much higher level in Canada. Uh, I think a lot more casual tennis fans are familiar with the, the players now. And certainly the ticket sales and just judging even this weekend in qualifying, the place was packed in Toronto. Like I've never seen it so busy. And so I feel like the past few years as a direct result of the success that our Canadians have had, it's, it's rising the profile of the sport here in our nation.
0: That's good. I love to hear that. And, I think we should just get on into it and kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what to expect in a really, really hot bed of tennis over the next week in Toronto first, and then Montreal for the ladies first. But since we're kind of on the Toronto train, let's keep it squarely there with the men. Um, Just a little bit of a tennis news cycle over the past 24 hours. One of the big names and seeds coming into the Masters Tournament in Toronto is Tsitsipas, uh, the Australian Open finalist from earlier this year. He finally wins his first title of the season in Los Cabos and comes into Toronto and... I mean, you know, even with all that confidence that comes with lifting a trophy, he could get a test really quickly out of the gate facing either Gael Monfils or Chris Eubanks, who Chris Eubanks particularly have been in great form over the past month. And that could be an opening match for Pass. And I mean, I, if I was in Canada, I'd have a ticket for that match, you know,
1: either he's one. He's not going <laughs> to like that draw. Pass is not going to like that draw. Like, I'm sure he's had a short amount of time to celebrate his his victory, of course. Um, but it's going to be a uh, quick snap back to reality, whether he has to play Molfees or Eubanks. I mean, especially Eubanks, what an amazing story this year. And we had him on Match Point Canada back in February when he was still ranked outside the top 100. Who knew what a crazy run he was going to go on from that point forward, you know, culminating with that quarterfinals at Wimbledon. And this is a guy who on and off the court has impressed me so much because off the court, you know, he's kind of on our side of things with the media and doing work with the tennis channel. And he just sees the game at such a deep level and has admitted that doing his work on the tennis channel on the side has really helped him as a player as well. Be able to be more analytical, watch more complete matches of his peers and and realize some things that work and don't work against certain opponents. So, you know, what an intelligent way to go about it. It's not often we see players who are active who also take the time to partake in that sort of activity, but it makes total sense. So he's coming in as one of the hottest players on the ATP tour the last couple of months. And it's going to be such an entertaining first-round match on Monday between him and Gael Mofis, who you know doesn't have as much match time and, and success under his belt this year, of course. He's not the same player he was when he was younger, but still super entertaining to watch, still very athletic. You know he's going to put on a show out there, and the crowd is going to be super entertained. So for CeCe Pass to come in, probably feeling tired, he's got a little bit of travel time as well, to then have to come in, and you're not getting an easy match. You're getting either of those players who are going to test you right off the block that... Yeah, as you said, if you're coming to see that second round match, you're not going to want to miss that one.
0: I would want to miss that and you also mentioned about Morphis as well coming in a little maybe a little under maybe what the typical fans might expect of him. Another name that has not really been at the forefront of tennis minds in the past couple of years who's going to be a feature of this tournament is Milos Raonic. Obviously uh, somebody that's coming from Canada. He has a wild card into the event and only his third tournament back. From the comeback trail, he played Wimbledon in a lead-up before Wimbledon. He takes on another player that's been having a really good season this year in 2023, number nine seed out of America, Francis Tiafoe. I think, again, as we're talking, you know, impact in Canada, these are some really, really good opening round matches that should have the tournament really, really, you know, excitable from the first first get-go, you know?
1: It's exciting, but it's also a little disappointing for Canadian tennis fans when we were at the draw watching, and it's like, Oh my goodness, like Milos drew literally the highest-seeded player he could face because the top eight seeds all get a first-round bye. TFO is seeded number nine, so it's almost a worst-case scenario in that sense for Milos. But, you know, I think if we temper expectations on him, it's just fantastic to see him back again. He took two years off from the sport due to injuries. That is a heck of a long time. It's not often that players come back from that kind of layoff. Uh, and he was successful in his return to the courts on the grass courts at Hertogenbosch, winning his opening round match. And then he won an opening round match at Wimbledon too. So I think that was really good for his confidence. We spoke to him at length recently on Match Point Canada and he detailed, you know, what he went through during those two years, having to shed 40 to 50 pounds to get back to playing shape, uh, which is an incredible amount of weight that um, his serve has never left him, that it's still there. And I, I can tell you, seen him practice this week with Yannick Sinner, Daniil Medvedev, and Andre Rublev, like he was testing himself against these top 10 guys, and he was looking really good and moving really well out there too. Now, how does that translate to an actual match in front of his home crowd, in front of his parents who haven't seen him play live And he said, over four years? You know, is he going to be able to block out those emotions? We'll have to wait and see. But even if Milosh goes out in his opening round match, which, let's face it, should really happen against an opponent like TFO, Um, it's an important step back. He's planning on playing Cincinnati, the U.S. Open, and you know, knock on wood that he can stay healthy, um, hoping to continue his professional career, which I think is really great news. Any rumblings that this might be one of the last tournaments,
0: or is he fully immersed in a comeback?
1: No, he's fully immersed in a comeback. The only thing is, and it's a big question mark, he really doesn't know how his body's going to respond. Even after his first tournament back on grass, his shoulder started to hurt him from all those serves. I mean, hadn't had to do that in such a long time, right? So... It's kind of like an asterisk. Yeah, he's coming back, but who knows how long it's gonna last. And you know, I think it might be safe to say this could very well be the last time he plays in Toronto, because even if he's able to sustain this comeback, the men only play in Toronto every two years. Mm-hmm. So is he gonna be back here in two years' time when he's almost thirty-five years old? That's probably uh, you know, a big ask at this point in time. But he is committed to seeing this through and he would like to come back. I mean I don't think you're going to go through all the work to lose 40 to 50 pounds to only play two or three tournaments, you know? Very, very fair. I wish I could join him in losing some of those LBs. But <laughs> somebody that doesn't really have that
0: issue is Felix augiali aliassime Although you mentioned, like, how the body would hold up, Felix has been a little bit in of a, I guess, a hot pickle lately with his body, either being sick or really not responding to the high demands of the tour. So he comes into this tournament a little bit low on match wins. But at the same time, from listening to him in press and media, he says he's feeling healthy again. He takes on a qualifier, Max Purcell, in the first round. But more interesting beyond that, and I think this would be a good litmus test to where Felix actually is, he could get a matchup with Andy Murray in the second round. And I feel like, again, another match I'd want to be sit down, squarely paying attention to.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's cliched, but I think for Felix right now, it's really one match at a time because of the struggles he's had. You know, he's coming in losing six of his last seven matches. You mentioned sickness and injury, and he had to deal with both of those at Roland Garros. Felt really ill in that match against. Um, uh, Fabio Fanini, and his knee has been, you know, bothering him as well for some time. So he says he's paying three free now for the past two or three weeks, and that he's really hoping that Toronto's going to be like the turning point in his season because up until now, it has not been what Canadian tennis fans or Felix fans would have hoped to see. They want to see the player that went on that tear last fall on the indoor circuit winning those three tournaments in a row, leapfrogging up into the top 10 for the first time. It was fantastic to see him really capitalize on all that talent. Um, so he's up against a qualifier. It's not going to be an easy task. I mean, on the one hand, you think, well, you're not going to get a better opening round matchup, but you're also facing someone who's come in winning winning two matches on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, both of those wins were against Canadians. Um, so we're hoping, as you know, in Canada here, that that stops with Felix. Uh, they've played once before. It was at the Olympic Games in Tokyo, and uh, Felix lost that one, actually, shockingly. So I think this one might be closer than a lot of people think. Obviously, we'd love to see him go beyond... That first round match, which, you know, interestingly enough, falls on his 23rd birthday. Uh, So the crowd will definitely be behind him. Maybe sing him a happy birthday as he comes out on the court, too. He shares the same birthday as Roger Federer, I believe, August 8th. That's good. Correct. Good tennis knowledge right there.
0: Somebody that's a little bit younger than felix and probably may have been inspired by felix and then somebody we mentioned earlier obviously in holding the atp flag for canada for so long milos raunich is 21 year old wild card gabriel diallo i've listened to a couple of things you've been a part of and it seems like you're equally as excited about him as well he's a senior i believe still playing or still enrolled at university of kentucky and he's making his main draw debut at masters 1000 level in Canada in Toronto and he could come up against Dan Evans I
1: believe who's had a good run of his That's own. That's correct. So good things in That's right. That and match the two up. of them the two of them played the two of them played each other earlier this summer on grass and Diallo won that match actually. Like he's 6 foot 7, he is a big boy uh with a big serve as well. So sort of like Milos except he's even taller if you can believe that. Um and I'm not as familiar with him. I mean mm-hmm. part of the the you know part of the situation being so blessed with talent in Canada right now is you're focused on those top guys and those top women. And sometimes you got to think, oh, yeah, but who are the up-and-coming ones? And he's definitely one of them, and that's why he's the recipient of this wild card. So excited to see him in action. It'll be the first time I've seen him play live here in Toronto. And I think given the fact that he's got that win over Evans, and Evans is coming in, yeah, on a streak, which is good, but maybe also tired from the amount of tennis that he's played, that could also work to Diallo's favor.
0: It really could. I'm interested to see how he just manages the maybe some expectations and just the overall like big, bright eyed adventure of playing at such a high level at such a young age. So eyes on Gabriel Diallo in uh, this tournament and also in the future. We mentioned D.C., someone else switching to Montreal, if that's OK for a little bit. Coco Golf less than a couple hours ago as we record this, lifted the trophy in D.C., her first and biggest uh, first title in the United States, I should say, and then biggest title overall with it being a WTA 500. Switching over to focusing on the women, she's another person that comes in with a whole a lot of confidence and could, could take on a Canadian, Rebecca Marino, if the w- draw works out in her favor, if Marino wins her first-round match. I believe they played in Miami earlier this year. How have you taken a look at Coco Gauff's progress and then how it may relate to her uh, opportunities in
1: this draw in Montreal? I mean, Coco... Coco Goff is like one of my favorite players out there and and has been for some time. How can you not get excited when you watch her play? It's, it's such a fun style of tennis to play. She's so athletic. She's so quick. She's just, you know, so dynamic and there's so much to her game. It's a joy to watch it. And, you know, while I podcast and I host Matchpoint Canada and I do a lot of writing as well, I like to pick up a tennis camera sometimes too and take some shots. And, uh, and she just gives you some of the best pictures out there because of that athleticism. Like, Yeah, I go through some players and I'm like, it's so hard to find a really great shot. And I go through my pictures of Coco Goff and it's like, it's really hard to find a shot that isn't great. (laughs) And I end up editing like a hundred of them because I can't get rid of any of them. You know what I mean? Um, And she's got a great personality. She's very humble. Um, She's been wonderful with her time appearing on our podcast before as well. And so, you know, even though when I got my media badge on, I'm not like cheering for a player and I'm staying unbiased. You know, deep down, I'm always happy when I see Coco Golf win. I have to work on that because I kind of have to curtail how how happy I am
0: for Coco Golf, and really keep my head on straight and just report the news. But again, equally happy for Coco practice.
1: It takes practice. (laughs) Like my first few tournaments in the media, I had to be like, don't clap. There's people around watching, you know, and you got to just park that. And then what's funny is when I go to a tennis tournament as a fan, like my dad and I will still go to tournaments and just enjoy them. I find it hard to clap now because I'm so like indoctrinated in that sort of detachment from you know when you're in the media i guess
0: hey guys if you're enjoying today's episode please take a look at the episode description support the growth of the show by grabbing a coffee from the link and while you're at it be sure to engage with tuned into tennis on social networks twitter instagram tiktok and facebook is where you can find us leave a review if you like what you're listening to so far and let's get back to the show are you still clapping for another Canadian that I'm about to mention, Bianca Andrescu? Well, I'm
1: clapping for all of them, you know <laughs> what I mean? Inside. Like, I, come on, like, who doesn't want their home country players to do well and succeed? And you know, you've got such a wealth of talent in the United States. And, you know, you look at the top 100, I don't know offhand how many women in the States are in the top one, but there's lots of them. And for us in Canada, you know, we've only got, you know, maybe two or three in the women's and two and three in the men's as well. So uh, definitely got to support all of them. But, um, sorry, did you just ask me about Bianco? Yeah,
0: you to- I mean, you, you segued into it. I think somebody that is going to receive a lot of support in playing in Montreal and then also somebody who kind of, I feel like, feeds off of that support is Bianca Andreescu. She is playing as a wild card, obviously a former U.S. Open champion like we alluded to earlier in the show. She's taking on, speaking of some of the depth you mentioned in just women's tennis as a whole, she's playing the Montreal champ from 2021 in the very first round, Camilla Georgie. Again, it seems like a, a theme here, matches early on that I'm kind of going to want to keep my eyes on and see what the results are because it may be a spark for somebody to really go deep in the tournament.
1: Of it yeah that women's draw in montreal is total fire and uh, not that i regret being here in toronto to cover the men's event this year but there's a big part of me that would have loved going back to my hometown to watch that draw because all of those matches my goodness how many of those first round matches would make incredible finals at most for many you know wta tournaments out there that's how deep it is and you've got someone like camilla georgie who won the event uh two years ago in montreal and she had to go through qualifying this time just to get into the main draw and that speaks to that depth as well that's constantly a theme, I feel like, on the WTA in, in recent years. So that's gonna be a terrific match between Georgie's all out firepower and just going for broke on every shot against Bianca, who's got, you know, so much variety in her toolkit. She could blast every ball, but Bianca doesn't because she's got other avenues to explore as well out there on court. And you know, it's funny seeing the wild card next to her name, yeah. I gotta say. Like obviously it was a given, it was gonna come her way from Tennis Canada. But it's just strange not seeing her, to me, in the top 30 or so on the WTA. And, you know, partly it's been the injuries, which have been a recurring theme for her over the years. She took off the first half of last season, pretty much, um, for mental health reasons. And she was very open about that. And I think that should really be applauded, too, that she's one of those players like Naomi Osaka who's, you know, willing to open up and share and say, like, hey, I'm not okay to do this right now, and so I'm going to take time to, to get better again. Um, and what a great role model for, you know, not just young girls, but just, you know, anyone out there, really, any of us could take, you know, lessons from that. So she needs more, more match reps, more confidence. And I think it's only a matter of time before she goes on a bit of a streak, but she's got to get that ranking up. Otherwise she's going to be facing, you know, people like An Jabur in the mm-hmm. third round of Wimbledon. And that's an awfully tough matchup for anyone. So until she can get seated, the draws are going to be very difficult. You know, same with Leilani Fernandez, you could say the same thing for her as well. Um, the talent is there. You just got to find that consistency and try and get their rankings up so they can get better draws and have a bit of an easier time through the first two matches to sort of acclimatize and, and get in there, you know? I agree. And you mentioned, like, how good of a
0: watch Bianca is. I also think equally Layla Fernandez, somebody else you mentioned, is a fun watch with the way she scrambles and kind of keeps points alive and is just gritty out there. She's also trying to get her ranking back up to. Where where it was about when she made that U.S. Open final? History shows she plays better at this time of the year. Will also take support from the home crowd. She takes on American qualifier Peyton Ster- Stearns in the first round. Somebody like you mentioned before has to qualify. It's acclimated with the courts. Will be interesting to see if she is somebody else who can kind of get a spark and be like, "Hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not satisfied being in the '80s and '90s of the ranking." Here I am. Here's my game. And let's see what everybody else can do to kind of defend it. I think she has that in her.
1: It's just a matter of applying it in the big moments. And I mean, let me tell you, neither of those players are satisfied with where their ranking is. Right. They're both going to be pissed when they see where they are right now, to be perfectly honest. Leila Annie, it's funny, like I've been talking to her since she was 15 years old, a promising junior in Canada. And she was a lot quieter back then and, uh, and kind of um, reserved. And and she's not like that on the court anymore. You know, when she won that first title in Mexico last year, something sort of like sparked in her, I feel like. And she was fist pumping and using the crowd to her advantage. And it's just so nice to see that, you know, development and confidence in in someone like that. And she knows how to use the crowd to her advantage. And you can bet that's going to happen in Montreal, which is her home city. Bianca's going to do the same, even though she's from Toronto. Both of them have that similar, you know, ability to fire themselves up and get the crowd behind them as well. And so what better place to use that uh, than in their home tournament here in in Montreal?
0: I think a lot of people are going to be using the support because every time I tune into the tournament, it just seems like an overwhelming good time. And I think that'll even be higher this year again, because there's some other people that we haven't yet talked about that aren't Canadian, but still bring some storylines into the tournament. For one, Caroline Wozniacki, who's making her return to professional tennis. She's, Hasn't played since 2020. She retired at the 2020 Australian Open. She's been doing some commentating for ESPN and obviously feels like she still has a good enough shot while she's in her mid-30s or early 30s to compete with some of these ladies she's watching. She's coming back off a wild card. And also, Venus Williams is playing her first match since Wimbledon. I think people are going to have their eyes on both of those players for sure.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if we just start with Venus for a second here, I mean, 43 years old. My goodness, the fact that she's out, still out there competing And she's not doing it for the money, and she's not even doing it for the ranking points. She's doing it because she loves the sport, and she wants to continue competing. And I say, let's keep giving Venus wildcards for as long as she wants to. I mean, look, the matches are competitive, and even though more of them end up in the loss column than the win column, they are competitive, and I think it's, it's great for tournaments in terms of driving ticket sales. She's still a drawing card. Who wouldn't want to come out, maybe bring their kids, hey, come see Venus Williams one last time? You know, she's got all those Grand Slam titles, the Mm -hmm. story of her and Serena and everything they did and and the pioneers they were for, you know, black tennis players that wanted to also pick up a racket one day and saw them and and felt like they could do that. And uh, so, I mean, on so many levels, let Venus do whatever she wants to do is my take here. here. Um, And so I'm happy, happy to see her there again. And also nice to see Caroline Wozniacki back in the mix. And, you know, she's close friends with Serena. And, um, gosh, wouldn't it be great if we ever saw Serena come back on a tennis court. But, sorry, we'll leave that for another time. But for, for Caroline, Caroline's always had great success in um, in Canada. Uh, she always played well here. Um, great to talk to in the media. So I'm selfishly really happy to see her back. Hope we get to chat as well uh, once again. And, um, you know, who knows? Does she have a comeback sort of like a Kim Kleister's. Who, when she came back, my goodness, it couldn't have been scripted any better. Right. Or is it going to be a little bit more, you know, what we'd expect, which is probably going to take some time to find her game again. I mean, one thing I can tell you for sure is she's in great level of fitness. Super, super fit. Um, I mean, you'd never know she had two kids. I don't know how quickly she got back into what seemed like game shape, but it's been for a while. And And she wouldn't come back unless she knew she was ready to rock. And I think, again, Canadian tennis fans so fortunate that she picked Montreal to you know, spark that comeback mm-hmm. at. And so um, I'm very eager to see how she does as well this week, and, and I'll have an eye on that first match for sure.
0: It'll be fun to see what maybe small idiosyncrasies she's tried to like develop in her game since she's been away, or if she's still going to be the steady reliable player that gets to every ball and and brings it back like she built her career on for so many years somebody else who i'm interested to see what they maybe have been working on in the short span after wimbledon is world number one carlos Alvarez is he playing in montreal oh, he's playing in toronto
1: for the first time correct mm-hmm. that's right yeah he played in that uh, so last summer in montreal was his first time playing in canada mm-hmm. he went out to tommy paul in the first round so that was unexpected but I think we can agree that the Alcaraz from a year ago is very different from the Alcaraz we see today. Correct. My goodness, how much change he's put into his game and and how much he's evolved now. He's a U.S. Open champ. He's a Wimbledon champ. He's been the world number one for the better part of, you know, basically all of this season, too, trading a few times with Djokovic. But, um, yeah, it's his first time playing in Toronto. Um, The fans here have been going just absolutely nuts for him. He was doing some press obligations up on, like, the second level, like, where the, the suites are, where the boxes are. Mm-hmm. And somehow some fans, like, evaded security and, like, mobbed him when he came out from his interviews. And, uh, I mean, it was controllable. You know, Canadian mob, right? So, yeah. <laughs> kind. But, uh, that's right. Very polite um, in the way that they mobbed him. But uh, he was taken aback in a good way, saying, my goodness, I didn't expect this kind of reception here in Toronto my first time here. That everyone was yelling out, like, Carlitos, you can do it, happy to see you, taking selfies, asking for autographs, of course. And, you know, even his practice session today on the, on center court with Holger Runa was, like, packed in the lower bowl just for a practice session. And so I think when, you know, you hear some people lament that the big three are no longer, that Federer's retired, that Nadal also is nearing the end. Um, I, I don't buy it because I say, look at this guy, Carlos Alcaraz, and he is a great player, and there's many of them as well who are going to pick up that torch, you know, when Djokovic and Nadal hang up their rackets as well. I think tennis is in really good hands, judging from what we've seen from from Carlos uh, recently. That's something, that's the trend
0: I get from a lot of the conversations I'm having around tennis is that tennis feels like it's moving forward with some of the stars that we're getting that, that are popping out week to week or tournament to tournament, and it feels like, again, The common thread throughout this whole conversation is that there's a ball of energy that's about to be exploded on two cities in Canada, Montreal and Toronto. So before we go, I just want to get your predictions. Maybe we haven't talked about some of the people that you're expecting to lift the trophy. Maybe we have, but who do you think is going to be lifting the trophy this weekend in Toronto? Let's start Toronto first.
1: Shoot, you did mention that you're going to put me on the spot for this, (laughs) and now I'm suddenly thinking about it for the first time. So uh, I'm going to say, okay, maybe Alcaraz needs a little bit of adjustment going mm-hmm. from his Wimbledon win to coming back on the hard court. So maybe I'm not going to go with him. Cause that would be like, uh, the easy pick to go with the number one. Um, I mean, I'll give you a couple of names. Daniel Medvedev has looked really great in practice. He loves hard courts. He loves this time of the year. He won in Toronto two years ago when he was last here as well. And he's also, if I can plug it, an upcoming guest of ours on match point Canada this week. Fine. So, um, he's been great in press. He's very detailed and articulate. He enjoys answering questions in press. Um, so, I mean, I would lean maybe towards him and, uh, you know, maybe on the outside Yannick Sinner, the seventh seed seems very comfortable as well. And he's been hugely popular in practice times too. He was on hand for the national bank open draw ceremony the other day too. And, uh, him and Darren Cahill have just been having so much fun in practice, like working hard having a great time too and he just seems to me like he's in a really good mind space right now and maybe ready to take that semi-final appearance from Wimbledon and and go a little bit further so th- that would be my one two I guess Medvedev followed by Sinner for a little bit more of a I mean not an outrageous pick he's still one of the top hey seasons, I'd, but I'd watch the match you know what I mean
0: yeah I'd watch those I'd, and I'd be happy for either of them if they lift the trophy what about the women in Montreal what are you thinking
1: Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, it's tough to, to go against Iga Fiontech isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, she's got a tough draw, but they've all got a tough draw because that women's draw is is so deep. But, I mean, I said I wouldn't go with the number one in the men's draw, but Sviantec, it's really hard to go against her. I'd like to say Coco Gauff, but I just wonder with the amount of time she's just spent on court in D.C. and the fact that she's also entered in doubles as well with Jessica Pagula. If it's maybe just a little bit too much tennis in a short amount of time, and I'm not saying that players ever go out there and purposely like lose a match, but when you got to think you got Cincinnati coming up next and then the U S open, which is what you want to peak for. I just don't know if it makes sense for Coco Goff to come out and go at like 110% here. Um, So I, I don't think I'll, I'll pick her. um, Although otherwise I would have loved to. Um, So I think Sviantec really honestly, you know, she always wants to go out there and, and she's got something to prove and, and she wants to be the best. And, you know, who was it earlier this year? I think Barbara who said, like, to beat Tech, you got to be willing to suffer. Mm. And uh, I wonder how many people are going to be willing to suffer, you know, on some of those hot days and nights in, in Montreal here. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Iga. I'm not sure about suffering with this player I have in mind, but I do think she's
0: hungry. And I was thinking of Sabalenka. Sabalenka, she's, she's done amazing this season, but her last couple of big matches haven't really gone her way in the semis of the French and the semis of Wimbledon. And I think she's eager to kind of, you know, really detract from all of that and put her hands on some big trophies. And I think the quickness, if the play—if the courts are playing quickly, will add to all of that. So I wouldn't be surprised if she's in the final weekend, you know, swinging and doing her thing like she normally does.
1: Yeah, it's a good pick too. I mean, we've been talking Sabalenka up even before her, you know, triumph at the Grand Slam level this year for years, saying it's only a matter of time before that game translate on hard courts. I mean, the serve, the forehand, the aggressiveness. So, yeah, solid pick as well. I mean, maybe we'll get both number one and two there you never know what you're going to get this time of year because they're transitioning, many of them, from grass. Some of them haven't played hard-court events yet. Uh, look at, we had Pablo Carreño Busta as the Canadian champion last year. Uh, like I said, Camila Giorgi the year before in Montreal. So sometimes you get players you know, who take advantage of the fact that some of the big names aren't quite ready, so... Who knows what we'll get, but I'm super stoked to see how it unfolds. And, um, Miles, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it, and it's it's super fun chatting some tennis with you today.
0: Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know it's crazy in Toronto this time, especially this week with the tournament, so I definitely appreciate you giving our listeners some insight and sharing your thoughts and wisdom with us as well. So
1: uh, before you leave, let us know where we can follow you on social networks. Uh, sure. So on Twitter or whatever it's called now, uh, I'm at McIntyre at McIntyre Tennis. Same on Instagram at McIntyre Tennis and our podcast at Matchpoint Can on Twitter at Matchpoint Canada on Instagram and you can find it anywhere you like to get your podcast. Come check out our interview with Danil Medvedev this week. It's it's a good one.
0: I'm a listener, very valued listener. So if you're listening to this, go over to Matchpoint Canada and give Mike a listen as well. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks, Miles.